Awesome. Um, this morning we're coming to the end of the road in our Chasing the Wind sermon series. And uh, if you're just uh, catching up this morning, let me just quickly give you a, a rundown. We've been over the last uh, several months, I guess, we have been looking at the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bi- Bible, reading the words of a man named King Solomon. King Solomon was a wealthy man, one of the wealthiest people in all of history, uh, the wisest person in all of history, the Bible says. Um, he was a, mi- a man who seemed to have everything. He had fame. He had fortune. But he was missing some pretty big things. He was missing joy. He, he, wa- he wasn't satisfied. He wasn't content. And today as we wrap up this series, we once again find Solomon as he's in the final days, the final months of his life, he's, he's writing down his thoughts. And the words that we read at the end of Ecclesiastes aren't the words of a, of a fulfilled man. No, they're actually the words of a man who's miserable. They're the words of a man who is disillusioned with life and left wondering, surely this can't be all that there is to life. And today we come to chapter 12, and in this chapter, um, Solomon's tone is that of an elderly man whose failures, regrets, whose disappointments in life just kind of linger like a dark, heavy cloud around his soul. And on top of that, this morning we're going to see how um, now his age, his physical age, is also weighing him down. And just to put it bluntly this morning, Solomon is old. He's not getting old. No, Solomon is just old. And uh, what's the difference, you ask? Well, glad you asked. This week I did a little research and found out the difference between getting old and just being old. You know you're old when your back goes out more than you do. You know you're old when any time you're entering your date of birth with a smartphone, you get to the year, and you have to spin it like you're playing Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> you know you're old when a good night means you didn't have to get up to use the washroom. You know you're old when you barely do anything all day, but still need to take a nap to continue doing barely anything. You know you're old when you walk across the house to get something, and halfway there, you forget what you were going to get. But you keep walking anyways, hoping that eventually you'll remember. And all the young people are going, what the heck are you talking about this morning? But Solomon here, Solomon's old and he's not happy about it. And and like he so often does, he grabs his pen, he grabs his paper, and he writes down what's going on. And, And he begins by saying, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Um, A constant theme that keeps coming up in this book of Ecclesiastes is just the shortness of life. Life goes by fast. One day, you're a young person heading out into the grand adventure called life, and the next day, you're left scratching your head, wondering how you became a grandpa or a grandma so fast. And Solomon's advice to the young is to remember God. He's saying don't get so carried away with all the wonders and all the joy and all the excitement of life that you forget about God. Remember God. When you walk out of this church service this morning, remember God. He's speaking to, to youth here. He says, when you're walking the halls of your school, remember Him. When you head off to college, when you get married, when you raise a family, when you have some kids, remember God. 
Because to forget about God and instead just pursue a life of endless self-indulgence is to invite what we see in Solomon throughout the entire book of Ecclesiastes is to invite a life of regret and misery. And Solomon, is, he understands this. Um, enjoy life, but enjoy it while at the same time enjoying friendship with God, for that is truly the only way to truly enjoy life. And Solomon, he then launches into this depiction of old age. And I'm not sure if he was trying to be funny, but it comes off sort of humorous. Um, he describes old age as what happens before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. It's like he's saying being old is like living in the dead of winter where it's dark and rainy and always cold. It's what happens when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop. You start to get really shaky in old age. Hands tremble, legs tremble, everything's shaking. And even the strong get stooped and hunched over. He goes on, he says old age is when the grinders cease because they are few. The grinders are your teeth. They start to fall out. They become few. It's no more caramel apples and ribeye steaks. It's applesauce and jello. And those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, the, the windows are your eyesight. It grows, grows dim. You can't see anymore. On top of that, sound fades as you no longer hear like you used to. The line that I hear the most in my home these days is, Dad, you're going deaf. You need to get hearing aids. I kid you not. I probably hear that at least once a day in my house. It's either Becky or the kids. But, but here's the even stranger thing about what happens to your hearing in old age. Even though you can't hear things um, during the day, still the slightest sound at night or in the early morning will wake you up. And Solomon describes this. He says, it's when, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. You can't hear a stinking thing. But, but that sure doesn't prevent you from waking up at the sound of a passing vehicle, the robin that's right outside of your window, the, the doors that are opening in the, in the hall as someone's awake. Um, it, it's become such a problem for me in my age that I actually have to go to sleep to the sound of white noise every night. I have the bedroom fan on because anything will wake me up. That didn't happen 15 years ago, just saying. Solomon continues, old age is when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets. The only thing is the dangers in old age aren't criminals or bad drivers. It's, it's that curb that you're afraid that you, you won't be able to get over. Old age is when the almond tree blossoms, he says. In other words, the hair on your head turns white or gray like blossoms on an almond tree. Only it's not just the stuff growing on top that turns gray. It's the stuff that, that starts growing in all kinds of places. Your feet, your nose, your eyebrows, wherever. Solomon continues with this very flattering depiction of old age. He says, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred. And as you get old, you might have noticed this if you're, if you're, you're getting old, um, you're just tired all the time. My dog, Bear, um, he's, he's 12 years old, um, which for his breed means that he wakes up every day and just approaches every day as a gift. Um, Bear is old, and he used to want to play fetch. Um, not so much anymore. At one time, any, any sight of daylight in the house, like a door being cracked open, bam, he was out that door faster than you could, you, could, you, could, you could think. It was like a bolt of black lightning heading out the door to terrorize the neighbor's gardens and cats and all that kind of stuff. Doesn't happen like that anymore. Now he drags himself along. 
These days when we go for walks, it's, it's kind of annoying but kind of funny at the same time. These days when we go for walks, we'll, we'll sometimes get about 10 minutes in the walk, and, and he'll be there on the leash, and he'll just stop. And I'm like, what's wrong, Bear? You got to poo? You got to pee or something? And he just looks at me with his big, soulful eyes, and it's like he's saying, Master, I'm too old for this. I just want to go home and take a nap. <laughs> And honestly, I understand where he's coming from because I'm coming I'm in the same boat. You know, half the time I'm thinking, work, gym, no, I just want to go home and have a nap. And in old age, Solomon says, you drag yourself along. And on top of that, desire is no, no longer is stirred, which is to say your favorite activity in the bedroom is no longer what it used to be back in the day. Now your favorite activity in the bedroom is just sleeping. And as your body physically deteriorates like an old vehicle, which if you're a young person in the room going, eh, eh, suckers, it's going to happen to you one day. It's going to happen to you one day. And as your body deteriorates, though Solomon goes on to write about what eventually will happen to all of us, he says, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver coat, try that again, remember him. Before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Aren't you just feeling inspired this morning? Aren't you just so glad that you showed up at church today? <laughs> but, but here's the point. Listen, here's the point that Solomon is driving at here. Life is not going to last forever. It's just not. It's fleeting. In fact, that word meaningless, meaningless, you could also actually um, translate that to be the word fleeting. Life is fleeting. It's like the wind. It's here one day, and then it's gone the next. In fact, the Bible says, what is your life? In James 4.14, you are a mist that appears for a little while, and then, boof, it vanishes. It's gone. Um, I love, uh, Kenny Chesney wrote a song that sums up the speed of life so well. He, it's called, um, I think it's called either Blink or Don't Blink, but it goes like this. Don't blink. Just like that, you're six years old, and then you take a nap. You wake up when you're 25, and your high school sweetheart becomes your wife. Don't blink. You just might miss your babies growing my, like mine did, turning into moms and dads. Next thing you know, your better half is there in bed, and you're praying God takes you instead. Trust me, friend, a hundred years goes faster than you think. Don't blink. And the one life that you have to live is not going to last forever. And we all know this, and yet what do we do? We live our lives as if they're never going to end. Life is short. And Solomon here, as, as he is in his old age, he looks around at all he has. The castles, the piles of gold, all the property and the vineyards and the the fleet of ships and the chariots, the endless amounts of wealth. And he, he thinks about all that he's accomplished. He's established Israel as a nation. Um, he's built this temple that would be the center of religious life for Israel. Uh, he, he remembers all that he's done. He's indulged himself in the most lavish of pleasures and luxuries. He's pursued meaning and happiness and every pleasure under the sun. He's wrote wise saying after wise saying. And as he surveys his life, here at the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he sums up what he sees as the best and wisest way to live. 
He writes this. He says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Are you ready? He saves the best for last. Solomon, the wisest man who's ever lived, ever is going to live, is about to sum up everything that he has learned in life. Here it is. He says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. He, he goes, here's what it boils down to. Fear God, or in other words, honor him, stand in awe of him, show him the reverence that he deserves as the king above all kings, as the most powerful being in the universe. Keep his commands, obey him, do what he asks you to do. Why, he says, because this is your duty. Now, does anybody else in the room hear that and go, really, that's it? That's what Solomon, in all of his wisdom, concludes, fear and obedience, because that's your, your duty? I mean, that seems dutiful, it seems joyless, it doesn't seem life-giving to me, it seems actually kind of empty, and it's like Solomon here is missing something, but, but what is he missing? What is it that makes his words seem kind of right, but, but not actually entirely, entirely right? And, and you know what it is? You know what Solomon's missing and what, what it's, what's been missing from his life all along? He's missing delight. He's missing delight. He doesn't delight in God, and the reason is that he doesn't really seem to actually love God. Imagine, imagine me, so I'm a dad, I've got five kids, and imagine me approaching my kids, and I come up to my kids and I say, okay, gather around kids, I want to share with you the conclusion of the, the matter. Um, he, I've lived my life, and here's, here's an, all my experience and everything, all the lessons learned I want to sit down, I'm about to tell you the most important thing in life. And here's what it is, kids. I want you to fear me, I want you to obey me, because this is your duty in life. You go, okay, (laughs) okay, whatever, Uh, that doesn't sound like a life of joy and meaning, that sounds more like a life under a drill sergeant. Do this, do that, be afraid of me, I'm just, go here, go there, fall in line, step forward, don't touch that, don't go... That's not what I'd want from my relationship with my kids. And that's not what God wants in his relationship with us either. It's not. What he wants is he wants to be loved. He wants to be delighted in. He wants to be pursued. He wants to be enjoyed. Yes, he wants to be feared and obeyed. but, But mostly for our sake, because he knows that any other way will in the end destroy us. And so God comes along, and and this is what God does. He invites us to fear and obey him, but not in the context of cold, lifeless duty. He invites us to fear him and obey him in the context of a loving relationship with him. He's not after your burdensome, joyless obedience. He is after your delight-filled, joyful obedience. And nowhere else in Scripture is this clearer than in 1 John Chapter 5, where it says, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. It's obedience out of love, not obedience out of burden and duty. And and I don't know if you realize this or not, but this is a really big deal to God. I can't actually even, I, I can't overstate this morning how big of a deal this is to God, that that our obedience, that that our relationship with him is one of delight, is one of just of, of love being at the center of it. This is a big, big deal for God. I mean, think about this for just a minute with me this morning. 
It's as if before the creation of the world, God held two different options in front of him. Option one was, was to create humanity and create us to kind of be a, a little bit robotic, create us to be people who had no choice but to fear him, no choice but to obey him in every single way, create us in such a way that we are forced to fear and obey him. Now he's God, he, he could do that, but he has a problem in his hands with this option. He's going to have to leave love and delight out of the equation. Because here's the thing about love, in order for it to be love, it has to be what? It has to be chosen. Love, by definition, cannot be forced. And, and this option, it actually turns out, is not a very good option. In fact, for a God who is love, this option right here to create us as, 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 as robotic people who are just kind of forced to, to obey and fear Him, that's not really even an option for a God who is love. It would go against His very nature. But, but here's another option over here. And stick with me for a second, because this, this is important. It's create humanity, but create us not to be robots who are forced to obey, but create us in such a way that we are given the choice to obey out of love. He could do that, but again, guess what? He's faced with another big problem. Giving us the choice to love and obey is also giving us the choice to not love and obey. And the reason that this is a big problem is because the choice not to love and obey him is a choice that is going to unleash on humanity every pain, every suffering, every evil this world has ever known. So he has two options. Robots forced to obey with no love or people given the choice to love and obey but with devastating consequences if we choose wrong. And you know what God did. Because love and delight matter so much to him, he gives us the choice, the free will to choose, which led to the fall of humanity and eventually led to God having to send his son to die on a cross for our sins. And before you go, wait, 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 wait a minute, how could God do that? What, knowing that it would unleash suffering and pain and all that on the world, how could God do all that? Well, again, think about it for, for a minute. Wouldn't you choose the same? Wouldn't you choose the same? You know, what parent wants their kids to only want to be with them, to only want to obey them because they have to? No, you want your kids to do the right thing because they want to. You want them to want to be with you because they love you, not because they're bound to some dutiful obligation to be with you and obey you. In fact, as your kids grow, grow into young adults, you'll even let them fail and make mistakes knowing that it will cause them pain and suffering if that's what it's going to take for them to learn and obey and to trust and to grow and all that. What spouse? What spouse ever wants to have an arranged marriage? Now, I know a lot of parents, including myself, who want to have arranged marriages for your kids. But, but what spouse, what spouse wants to have an arranged marriage? You don't want to marry someone who's only with you because they have to be with you. You don't want that. You want someone who's with you because they want to be with you. They love you. They delight in you. You're the center of the, their world, and it works the exact same way with God. Fear God, obey Him, because this is your duty. No, that's, that's not actually the heart of God. That's not what God is after. And when it comes to what God is after, Jesus left no room whatsoever for second guessing. He left no room for second guessing. He too summed it up. 
he, Jesus comes along and he, he comes down to this earth and he walks this earth. And if there was any guessing about what, what was most important, what the, the real conclusion of the matter was, Jesus didn't, didn't, didn't leave any guesswork. And he doesn't come along and say, hey, here's the most important thing. Um, fear God, obey him because this is your duty. No, he summed up the matter like this, saying the greatest commandment that everything else hinges on is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And where are you at today when it comes to your walk with Jesus? Is it, is it more like Solomon's, you know, a lifeless religion of just fearing and obeying God? You, you fear him because he's big and powerful and you want to go to heaven and it's just duty, it's, it's, it's just doing all this stuff. Is it like Solomon's or is it more like the psalmist who wrote, I long to obey your commandments, how I delight in your commands, how I love them. Is your walk with Jesus more like Solomon's or is it more like David's who wrote, your unfailing love is better than life itself, how I praise you. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. Is it like Solomon's or is it like Paul's who, who didn't come along and say, hey guys, it's all about fear God, obey him because this is your duty. No, he said, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain, may gain Christ and be found in him. You never hear Solomon saying that about his castles and his gold and his, all his stuff. You never hear Solomon saying, hey, I consider it all garbage. It's all loss. Because it's different for him. Which one are, are, are you more like? Solomon or, or somebody who has a delight in God, a love for God. It's more than just obeying the rules. Listen, you can do everything Solomon concludes with. You can fear God. You can obey him to a T, and if you do it only out of a sense of religious duty and not out of love for Jesus, you are missing it. You're missing it. And I'm not talking this morning like you're just off a little bit. No, you, you, you are so far off that Jesus says on the day of judgment, as you're standing before the judgment seat of Christ, he might look at you and say, I never knew you. Yeah, you're obeying all the rules. You're going to church. You're being really nice. You're serving people, but you're missing it. If love and delight for God is not at the heart of your faith, because if you don't really love God, you must not really know God, because if you really knew him, you would really, really, really love him. You would really love him. And then the following him, then the obeying him, it wouldn't be some sort of chore. It wouldn't be some sort of duty. It wouldn't be something you just got to check off your, your Christian religious checklist. No, it would become your greatest delight in life. In my devotional this morning, I, I came across this. I'm like, God, wow, that's like for today. Uh, the, the writer of this devotional said this. He said, service for Jesus is not the same thing as friendship with Jesus. Because in the church, listen, we get this one mixed up all the time. We think if, if I serve, 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 and I, just, I, I serve Jesus, that's the same thing as friendship with Jesus. In fact, pastors get this one messed up all the time. Service for Jesus is not the same thing as friendship with Jesus. He goes, goes on to say 
You're not meant to merely love Jesus' teaching, his morals, his kindness, or his social reforms. You're meant to love the man himself, to know him intimately. Which kind of like begs the question, so why don't, why don't people, particularly religious Christians, delight in Jesus? And, and I, I actually think it's the same reason that Solomon did. We're too caught up in pursuing happiness in all the pleasures of this world. We're too distracted by all that there is to do. We're enticed by shiny things, by cars and, and homes and, and fancy trips and the for sale rack at the mall. The Bible actually puts it like this. It says, don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love, the wor- love of the world, it squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, which, by the way, these three things are just a cultural picture of life here in the Western world. The Bible says it has nothing to do with the Father. Nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from it. The world in all of its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out, but whoever does what God wants is set for eternity, the Bible says. Either God and his ways will be a duty, either it'll be a duty, or, it, or it'll be a delight. And it all depends on, on who God is to you. That's what it boils right down to. Uh, who, who is God to you? Ask yourself that question this morning. Who is God to you? Because whoever God is to you, it determines whether or not it's duty or delight. Is God the love of your life, the one your heart desires, or is he simply the object of some religious obligation that you feel compelled to keep? Where are you at this morning? And and if you're in the King Solomon boat where it's all fear God, obey him because this is your duty. Listen, there's some good news for you this morning. You can get the love. You, you can live a life. You can have a faith in God that is full of love and full of delight. How you ask? Well, it actually starts the same way it always starts from coming to God. It starts with repentance. Repentance. And repentance is not a complicated thing to understand. Repentance is coming before God and saying, Lord, I've been chasing the wind. Lord, I've been chasing stuff that, that, that's here one minute and gone the next. I've made my life all about the pursuit of, of, of success. I've made my life all about accumulating stuff and things. I've lived my life all for the approval of other people. And God, I just have not been living my life for you. And you say, God, I'm, I'm tired of living that way. God, I'm turning from that. And God, I'm turning to you. Jesus, I'm coming back to you. Jesus, I want you. I want my love for you to be strong. Jesus, I want my passion for you to to not be a flickering flame. Jesus, I want my passion for you to be red hot. I want it to be a raging fire burning for you. And and then you, you begin to love him. You begin to love him. How, you ask? Well, you press into him. You seek his face. You, you do the things that, that please him. And if you're in that boat where you're going, okay, yeah, it's, it's just duty. And you know what happens a lot of times is people actually start off their faith, they come to Jesus, and it's, it's just all 
it, it's, it's this love and it's this delight and, and this, this, this God and this person of Jesus. But then for whatever reason over time, that just that fades away. It fades away. Maybe it's, because, maybe it's because you got hurt somewhere along the way. Maybe it's because someone said something to you along the way. Maybe it's because you had this expectation that following God was going to be like this, but it ended up being a little bit different than you expected that it would be. Maybe it's just the, the, the mundane of doing the same thing over and over and over again, and maybe you just have settled into like a safe, comfortable Christianity. You start off red hot, but then it just became this flickering flame, and now you look at your faith and you go, it's just, it's duty. Yeah, Rich, it feels a lot like fear God, obey him, because that's just, that's, that's my duty. If that's you, you can get the love back today. And, and there's a reason why you're here this morning, listening to this message this morning. It's because the Spirit of God is calling out to you. The Spirit of God is inviting you this morning to have a relationship with Him that, that's about faith, a relationship with Him that's about delight, that's about having this, this, this man, Jesus, at the center of your life that you love, that you delight in, that you want more than anything else in this world. He's asking us, for that this morning. And I want to, as we wrap up this morning, I want to have a moment with you. If you could just bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm going to have the worship team, if you guys would come back up at this second. And I want to I ask you a couple questions, and then I, I, I want to pray for, for you. I want to pray for us this morning. And the, the, the first question is this, are, is your, what does your faith look like? Is it more on the fear and obey because it just is my duty, it's an obligation, you just have always done that, your, your parents did that, your grandparents did that, it's just, is it more that, that kind of duty, obligation, lifeless, or is it on the other side where you go, okay, no, it's, it's delight, it's love. And if you're here this morning and you're in the boat and you go, okay, I'm, I'm like King Solomon, it just feels like duty, and you, you're going, okay, I don't want to be here anymore. I want my faith to be alive. I want it to be about delight in Jesus. If that's you, I'd love it if you just raised your hand nice and high, and I would love to pray for you. Anybody in that boat this morning, while your heads are bowed, eyes closed, awesome. I see lots of hands going up. Anybody else, you're in that boat this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for each person here, God, who's been honest enough to say that, that the life has just been drained out of their faith, or maybe they just have never even really had that. God, you're inviting each person, God, this morning, God, to, to respond and God to come to you and turn from, from lifeless, dead, obligatory, dutiful religion and to come to the God who is alive, who's full of life, who's full of purpose, who's, who's full of joy, and, and, and to experience a faith that's alive. And so, Lord, I pray that, that God, right here, right now, in this moment, that Jesus, as repentance happens, as a turning happens, as a turning away from, from lifeless religion and turning towards you, God, happens, Lord, I pray that, God, you would invigorate each heart, each soul, God, with just this, this love and this passion for you, Jesus. Lord, you're a person. You are a person who's alive and who wants who wants love and delight to be at the center of our relationship with you. And so, Father, I pray that, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, you would, you would breathe on flickering embers, and that, God, you would breathe life 
you would breathe, breathe a, just a reviving, that God, you breathe a restoration, and that God, our, our faith, God would be a faith that, that, that is alive in you. And while your, your heads uh, remain bowed and your eyes closed, I just have one more question. Who's here in the room that's just not satisfied with where your, your faith is at with, with Jesus this morning? You're going, I, yeah, there's the light there, but man, I, I want it to be so much more than it is. Yeah, Jesus is important to me, but, but I want him to be, man, I want him to be so much more important than, than I currently have. I, I want him to be more important than anybody, anything in my life. If you're in that boat, I ask, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand nice and high this morning. Yeah, lots of hands, lots of hands up. You can go ahead and put them down. Father, Lord, I believe that, that God, in this moment, God, where we just confess before you that, Lord, we want you more. That, Jesus, you see this. God, you see each hand that's been raised this morning. And, and Father, I, I pray that, Lord, um, God, you would help us. God, I pray, Jesus, that, that Lord, we would know you. That, God, our, our love for you, our delight, God, would, would spring out of this knowing who our God is. God, I pray the same prayer that, God, Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, that, God, your church, God, being rooted and established in you, God, would have, would have power, together with all the Lord's people, to grasp how wide and how long and how deep and how, 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 how just the, the breadth of your love in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that, that, Lord, we would truly know you. God, I pray that as we pursue you, God, by cracking open your word, God, I pray, Lord, that as we, as we pursue you, God, in prayer, God, I pray that as we pursue you, God, in worship, even here on Sundays, God, I pray that, God, you would meet us there, that, God, we would encounter you, and that, God, you would change us, that, God, you would, you would make us like you, I pray. Make us like you. God, may we never settle for for dutiful religion. But God, may we be people that are constantly hungry and thirsty for more of you, God, to know you, to experience you, and to walk with you, Jesus, I pray. In your name, amen.